Greetings. Love Talk Radio. Because 
more than half the population or more than three quarters of the population in, in Belize is within that, 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 that age here, 15 to 25. So we're talking about a very, very young population. And it seems that we don't value them because we don't, you know, we don't set aside you know, um, legacies that they can inherit to better themselves. And these are the people who are going to take over the country, whether, we, whether it's just the way genetics says, it's just the way uh, history is. At some point, this generation that we're looking at, that uh, some of them, you know, we can't understand, these are the generation of tomorrow. So if we don't try to nurture them, um, if we don't try to nurture them, then what do we expect to happen, you know, in, in any society, whether it's in the United States, Belize, we have to nurture the young and, and show them that we appreciate it and, and give them guidance. Because whenever there's a crisis, the most vulnerable are the women and children. That's why when they say when the war comes, hide the women and children because they are always the most vulnerable. So, you know, in Belize society, and I'm not trying to pick in Belize because it's, even in the United States, we have to value the contributions of the young. We must value the contributions of those people who are most vulnerable. And I think in Belize, one of the things that we don't have is this sense of urgency. Like uh, Barack Obama quoting from Martin Luther, quoting from Martin Luther, the fierce urgency of now. There's a crisis, my brothers and sisters in that country, as far as our young people are concerned. You know, murderous gang banging, teenage pregnancy. These genocidal indicators just tell us that, you know, that, you know, AIDS rampant among them. These are things that we have to pay attention on. On. And individuals such as Mrs. Finnegan and Mrs. Marie, they look at these things and they are trying to make a difference right there on the ground. And we need more mentors like that. We need people who can talk to a young man from the south side or a young woman from the south side and say, look, your behavior, the path that you're going is destructive. You're not going to lead to A, B, C, D. Yes, you want to have the norms in the society set up certain things so that the youth can say, okay, if I, do, if I go to school, behave myself, Get a degree, yes, I should be able to access the society's uh, rewards with a job and that kind of thing. But what if, I, what if I can't do it? Is it because I'm black? Is it because something is against me? So these, these are the kind of questions that the youth have. We have to let them know that if you, get, if, you're not, if, 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 if you consider this deviant because you make a mistake, does that mean that your life ends? That, does that mean you don't have a chance to do something that's right? So these are all very difficult questions that our young people face with anywhere they live. You know, how can I, you know, the norms is, in the society said you behave yourself, go to college, do, you know, do the right thing, and you're supposed to be able to access the rewards in society in terms of material wealth. But what if, you, what if you denied access? What if you have a disadvantage where that's not possible? Where do you turn? And this is where people such as Diane and Nell Marie come in because they are trying to educate these young or young people in that country. Say, look, don't give up hope. Keep hope alive. And there is a... Um, opportunity for you to, to, to be a part of something special if you just, you know, do the right thing and try to focus on the good and stay away from that destructive path that can lead you to nowhere. So I think before I bring them on, I just want to tell you about it. Please take your time and listen very carefully to these women because there are giants in a society for what they're doing. There are Individuals that I have a tremendous amount of respect for because they put themselves on the front lines 
every single day. Okay? And just understand that you're listening to individuals who are not just talking the talk, but they're also walking that walk. And that's very important to remember. They don't just get on Facebook and write stuff or say stuff. They're down in the trenches trying to make a difference. So we have to give them much respect. And without any further ado, I'd like to welcome Miss Nelma Marie and Miss uh, Diane Finnegan. Are you guys on? Hello, are you guys on? Yes, yes, we oh. are. Okay, then I want you guys to um, introduce yourself, you know. Who am I speaking to right now? This is Diane. Okay, Mr. Finnegan is on. Okay, how are you doing this morning? We are excited. Nelma is here with me. Let me let her say her piece. Good morning, Hubert. How are you? Good. Good morning, Nelma. I'm doing wonderful. I, 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 uh, I, you know, I'm so excited to talk to you guys. I know it's the World Cup and everybody is you know, busy in front of the TV watching, <laughs> but they can podcast. You know, just like they could DVR the games. And I did. I, I yesterday I couldn't watch the Brazil game. I had to DVR it, so it was okay. It's not the same effect, but at least you get a chance to see your team play. You know, so I'm cognizant of that. But um, first, I want to start, start with Diane. And you know, Diane, you know, you are involved with you know this youth with the youths in the inner city. What I want to know is what are some of the main things that you try to communicate to these young people? Stability, independence, um, self-worth, purpose and intention. It's a whole um, set of values that they must arm themselves with in order to journey through the challenges that society, that exist within our society to be. I feel that if they are not um, really clothed with these, um, this is the reason why some and many may fall because there's luck in some of these areas. Let me ask you, um, so, you know, when you say luck, like uh, for example, you say stability, responsibility, what are some of the challenges in trying to get them to understand that? Well, there's a lot of things that contribute towards the weaknesses and the, the demoralized um, attitude of young people, the fact that they feel that they don't belong, the fact that they see that some people are um, progressing and they are working hard towards, but they are not getting there, the fact that they feel left out because they aren't from within that circle, um, the whole issue of feeling that they need to take some one side or the other in order to accomplish, instead of just being themselves and working towards aspiring to the, to, to, um, towards their greatness. So mm -hmm. who is there really to strengthen them and to give them the tools they need for them to understand that, no, this is about you. 
And if the more you show your faith, the more you are present in what is happening within our society, the more you are recognized and you are able to accomplish that purpose you are aiming for. Um, mm-hmm. The setbacks that exist where simple things like um, getting a job. But getting a job comes with a package. Are you equipped to handle that job and to hold on to that job? Because it's not just about getting a job. It's why you want that job and what is the purpose for getting that job. And through the Youth Apprenticeship Program, it's the package that we give to them so that they can understand their own purpose for which they are doing what they are doing, the purpose for which they want to be in the youth apprenticeship program, forgetting the dollar sign. Yeah, what is it is that you plan to get out of this and take with you to mm-hmm. accomplish your purpose. That's very important. Nelma, if you, if you want to add something to this, feel free to do so. You know what I mean? Uh, feel free to add... Uh, but I, you know, continuing on the same thing there, I think I want to touch, I want you to expand a little bit on that point because, for example, in, you know, in beliefs today or in any society, because, you know, it's that, this is tourism for any society. Economic success is a goal that mostly everybody tries for. I don't think anybody wants to wake up this morning and say, oh, I'm going to be a criminal or I'm going to do something, you know. You know, it's something that everybody tries for. And that's usually ca- characterized by education, which is followed by a good paying job. However, what happens when not all groups have access to this means? And... There's just some sort of structural strain that produces. That's what at least the theory goes that you you know you have, you you are susceptible to deviant behavior. Does so it begs the question: Are less unfortunate individuals in society most likely to experience this this deviance, or because you know, for example, they aim for the same goals as the rest of the society, but but because they may have perceived block opportunities for success. Are they more, Are these individuals most likely to turn to crime and deviant behavior to to achieve that economic success? Um, yes, Hubert. Um, the socioeconomic um, conditions of these young people, um, not having the opportunity, like Miss Diane so rightly said a while ago, are the ones who are at risk. Mm-hmm. We refer to them in in our um, social policy as the at risk group. Um, more likely, they are more likely to be the ones who will fall through the crop. And like Ms. Diane said, there are not enough safety nets and programs out there to help prepare them, to prepare them for adulthood, to prepare them for parenting, to prepare them for marriage, to prepare them for, uh, for that whole next transition of life, which, is, uh, which, which makes up the adult life. There is not enough of that. That's a total neglect. We don't even have policies um, that really grounded policies that um, address these things from a national level. It's an area that needs a lot of development. In your in your experience, in, as a policy analyst and a poli- one who is involved in um, in, in in you know in, fr- in, in, in in not only trying to um, form in the policy. You know, to, but to um, to to implement that policy, you know, policy, you know, what what are some of the challenges in in policy implementation as it relates to trying to address 
certain, you know, like the, the young, like the young people in that country, in trying to, you know, develop a policy, says, okay, I'm going to put, say, uh, like Diane was saying, uh, a job center in play here, or, or I'm going to give opportunity where, they, you know, they can get training. What are some of the challenges that we have that makes it so difficult for us to, to have, a po- have policies that are so that are centered along those lines? Well, I think we are going through a bit of transformation. Um, once upon a time, a lot of the policy would come from policymakers, people who are far from the problem, people who do not even understand what it is to be on the ground and what it, is, it means to be, um, uh, to be living in the, the human ecology of, of youth. And so it's a kind of top-down um, information, more theoretical than anything. I think one of the um, movies to whenever we are developing policy now is to ensure that the people who that policy will impact should be a part of that whole um, policy development, which is the youth themselves. Um, how can I be an adult deciding what are the needs of, a, of the youth uh, um, if I am not down there um, where they are at. It has to be that youth has to say, has to have some sort of input as to what it is they want to be. Remember over time, because a lot of time we like to create vision for yesterday and not tomorrow. And that, that's a major, major weakness that we, um, we, we expect the youth of today when all the demographics around us have changed in terms of um, when I was growing up, it was totally different from the youth that are growing up today. And we all know that um, the, the population has become far more urbanized. And when, when a population becomes urbanized, there, is, there, is the need or there will be scarcity of resources. That will definitely have to impact more schools, more um, youth programs, more, um, a lot more, more opportunities for youth. But somewhat, somehow, at our national level, we do not plan for projection. We do not plan for population growth. That's uh-huh. one of the major weaknesses. And another thing is we don't do policy evaluation. We don't revisit those policies and see the impact that those policies have on the conditions we have today. Because, like I said before, demographics change. You cannot uh-huh. keep yesterday's. Um, vision for today's children. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if I could uh, add a little, if go I ahead, go ahead, Diane. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, because I, I, while Nelma will focus on policy, I will focus more on action because I'm one of those individuals who's more about go get. Call me to a meeting. When everything is set up and you say do, and mm-hmm. then I'll run with that. But I don't like the setting up space, um, stages because it takes too much time. You get excited in the midst of it to just get really um, disappointed at the end of the day and you feel like your effort um, was just taken for granted. There are several things that I think is affecting our accomplishing or our, our, our young people really being the face and accomplishing their purpose in Belize. The crowded desks that exist, I feel like 
there ought to be a ministry of youth for youth. Totally that, agree. That has in place the heads that are really um, supportive of, sympathetic towards, and understanding the issues of young people. And I'm not talking about poverty. I'm not talking about education. I'm not talking about needs ones. I'm talking in general. Young people on a whole and what must be in place in order to make this country work and this country survive. There's no youth-friendly space for young people to, all right, let's just say um, there are some challenges that a young person is facing of majestically, out of majestic alley. Mm-hmm. How does this individual just tap into the services available and say, these are my concerns, these are some issues affecting me, where do I go? How, of that. how do I, but everything locks off at five. Every, everything locks off on Friday, mm-hmm. but Friday evening into Sunday, Monday morning is when the things that are about young people start happening, but there's nothing available for them. Nothing for them to tap into. Mm -hmm. So I am desperate, bored, feeling anxious. I just going on the block, see who I could hook up with, and then whatever happened, happened. Shouldn't there be another outlet, another option that young people could choose from instead of the circle of nothingness? It's interesting point here. Um, I'm talking to I'm talking to uh, Miss Diane Finnegan and Miss Nelma Marie live from Belize City. Um, these two dynamic, energetic mother of two are down there on the ground and the front lines, and you know they are sharing their experiences with us. Which we should be, which is we, we we should be really privileged here in the diaspora and in Belize. Along the, those same lines, there, um, Diane. Um, for example, like you know, entertainment. You're talking about entertainment because that starts like like you said after Friday. So between between Friday and say Monday morning, if I'm a young person between say the age of 15 to 21, you're telling me that I have access to nothing other than just Quantum entertainment that I may, may or may not want to participate in, in that, in, in uh, is that is that the point that you're making? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, it's very limited, um, Hubert, and and what, I think one of the um, things that and it's not it's not um, just a matter of governance or having to do with policy, but even community, because simple church youth group would be a typical example of one of those. Um, activities that youth can get engaged in, but it is it is minimal. Um, I guess I don't know how far we have deviated from each other in terms of selflessness or selfishness. I don't know what um, which where we are at, but Diane is so right. There are limited opportunities for youth 
to get engaged, and especially boys. We know boys and their whole biological makeup and, and at that stage of development where all their hormones and everything is acting up so aggressively, they need to be able to use their big muscles, maybe through sports, through, um, you know, being in some physical activities, and that is not minimal in our society. If you and notice, everybody does. Go ahead. No, I was saying, but I, you know, I think it was, it's not, it's not a question of governance. I think we're not trying to, and I, and I, you know, I try to tell people, look, it's not about assigning blame, because we are all responsible. It's ours, it's our children. They're not like, you know, these children weren't born with no political tags or no um, gang tags on them, you know. They're innocent when they're born, and it's up to us to nurture them to, into, into the kind of human beings or the kind of citizens that we want in our society. And so I think that, you know, it's important that I want you to touch on this point because, you know, we seem to think that if you, like you said, religious group, people tend to look at it and say, ah, you know, why I want to, you know, what's your, what's your, what's your position in that? Because people like to say, well, why have a you group? Why can't it be, you know, I mean, you know, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not trying to be, be corny here, but we do need more religious groups and stuff and groups, positive groups then that want to nurture our, our, our people in belief. And I don't. I know Diane has. We just refer to. Go ahead. We just refer to religious group as an example because that's a mm-hmm. traditional one that we know mm-hmm. used to have that kind of um, impact on young people. But of course, we are talking about all positive, any kind of positive group that will that will um, give young people that opportunity to engage in positive activities. I what I want to see is a youth initiative that is for young people. I don't want it blue. I don't want it red. I just want a space where all young people feel comfortable being mm-hmm. a part of, tapping into, without feeling as if though they'd be labeled one side or the other. Mm-hmm. I want to know who is face of young people. And I don't, one of the things that for me, I smile about, I get really sad about is that the moment you put your face out there, mm-hmm. then at the end of the day, you end up becoming political. And I am saying the moment that happens, for me, it takes away from your strength of what I think you genuinely may have wanted to accomplish. Because now you're taking sides. You get labeled. Despise, mm-hmm. I despise hearing young people getting into this very same thread that adults are involved in, slandering, name-calling, disrespecting um, politicians, disrespecting elders um, mm-hmm. because of political affiliation. I feel that if you have an issue of concern which is affecting young people on a whole, then that message must be brought across as the concern that is affecting us young people and not just one in particular because not everybody have the same concerns, not everybody have the same problems, but because we are young alike, what affects you affects me. It spills off because it goes into the classroom, 
it goes into the medical field, it goes into the workplace, and when there's drama, it prevents from accomplishing. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying there must be a youth body that is independent of politics that addresses the concerns of all young people, no matter where they come from. Yeah, I agree with you. And Hubert, I, have to, I have to go back. Yeah, I have to go back to the issue of governance because while we may say that we are not here to discuss it, it does play a, um, a major role. Okay. Uh, Belize is a very youthful population. Mm-hmm. We are um, at 70% um, youthful in terms of, of our population. So it certainly needs, um, cannot, we cannot overemphasize the need for having an arm that will have that kind of oversight on youth and youth development, or else we are impeding our overall development if we don't go that direction. Mm-hmm. And um, like Ms. Diane so rightfully said, that um, we may not want to be categorized as red or blue, but that is the, the boundary that divides us as a nation. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, we need some kind of, of, of um, government to empower young people to understand that it's not about um, the color that they, they associate themselves with, but seeing beliefs from a nationalistic point of view, mm-hmm. and that is not happening. In fact, we don't place any emphasis on youth. Um, on youth. Every time youth, um, we address youth, it is attached to another ministry, and then it becomes a side, um, a side or beside um, kind of, of, of attention is given to it from a governance level. Um, we, we, cannot, we cannot run away from that. Um, in addition to that, we say that we have to develop our community, we have to empower the community, and that also is lacking in our, in our society, where there are community groups that can advocate for what it is that they need from the national level. Well, while I agree with you on that point there too, and, I, and I'm not disagreeing, but I think a lot of times too we think tend to uh, depend too much on government. Too. A lot of these are these civic groups. To be civic-minded, it could be simple thing as just organizing yourself on a community level. Say, let's have a, uh, a little you know committee in this block here where we can you know maybe on Saturday morning we are raise funds. We're going to Gofsky. Maybe on Saturday morning we are raising enough funds. We're going to um, up in in the, in the interior of the country go visit. Alton Har or one of those. So I'm, the point I'm making is that yes, while I understand that the importance of government, you know, and governance, it still does not take away the ability of the the, the grassroots of the of the community to organize themselves. Because I, I mean, uh, is, are we having any of that kind of thing occurring in that country where just on the, just on the community level to organize and just do something for the you know, one side of the morning or you know. You know, um, Hubert, I started off saying, making a comment similar to what you just said and lost my trend of thought because when I talk, of, talk about young people, I get excited because well, I've been able <laughs> mm-hmm. to just really tap into their souls and see some things that I, I am amazed about young people. And I was about to say that everybody is doing excursion to Chetamal, and it's about an adult population that goes on these trips. 
But nobody really puts together a trip just for young people, and young people just go and enjoy themselves. And why? It's because there's still a stigma with who and behave bad, who is not good enough, who won't have any money, and, and lots of labeling. Yes, there's too much labeling. You know, one of my greatest pleasure is the fact that I get really be around almost 200 young people every six months. We change the faces, not the quantity. And so every Friday, I get to be in the midst of all these young people. And I am really blown away at the level of respect they have for me, at the fact that one person can actually control 160 people in one setting, and they are attentive, they are listening, they are participating, and they are enjoying a session. The distraction is minimal. And I am saying, this can be done. This can be done. But oftentimes, we also, one of the key problems is handpicking who we want to get things done instead of actually focusing on who can get the job done and get it done effectively. Who has the passion to get the job done? Yes. You know, like we, we, you have to have connection. You have to be of that circle, and then I, I really always say that for me, the last thing I look for in getting involved in anything is the dollar sign. Mm-hmm. My thing is about success. I have to accomplish my purpose when I get something done, and then the rest will just flow. But if you're only intention is to make sure that you get the dollar to pay off mortgage, bill, house, buy the vehicle, then you won't be putting your all to get the end results of what really is necessary to curb what is affecting our society here in Belize. Nelma, one second. Let me just say, from, this is what I'm hearing, and you could explain this. From what I'm hearing from both of you is that there seems to be a basic responsi- well, lack of responsibility, if you will, of a society where everybody is thinking about the individual but not of the collective good of society. Is that a fair statement? There's a breakdown in that. Exactly. Well said. Because I was just going to say Diane said one person standing up in, a, in front of 150 young people and has that sort of control and influence to get them to participate. That is lacking in our society. Our young people don't have enough legitimate adults that will guide them in that direction. And like you so rightly said, it has to be a collective responsibility. You know, I mean, what a... So- I, I, from what I'm again, from what I'm understanding, listening to you, to to, to you guys, and I'm talking to uh, Miss Diane Finnegan and Nelma Marie in Belize City. Um, what who advocates 
what kind of advocacy do they have that besides, you know, well, I know what Diane does and what you do, but who else is out there? What groups or positive groups that are out there advocating on the behalf of, of you know, of, of the disenfranchised young people in our society? I think there are pockets of everybody doing something out there, and um, that is good in some way or the other. But for me, it's important the end result. I want to see the impact what, of what you're doing filling off in our society. Yesterday, I was at the funeral of um, one of my youth, and I was asked to do the eulogy, and I was amazed, even though I know that this exists, it was somehow an eye-opener for me that when the moment I stepped out my vehicle, I am surprised by this sea of color that is manifested as their identity within this setting. And so I had to address that, and I addressed it openly. And I said, it is this very same thing, the colors that is destroying our humanity within Belize. It is what is destroying the integrity of this country and destroying our young people because now they feel that if they aren't a part of that color, no, they cannot participate. And I saw it with my own youth that, and I had to tell them, I said, because of this color, many of my boys couldn't come and pay their last respect to this youth who was a part of this family structure, which is, which is the youth apprenticeship program. And any one of them can come to my program and see that I will have from PIV, I will have from Ghost Tongue, Majestic Alley, George Street, all over. But when they are at the youth apprenticeship program, it's one family. It's one family. And there's no color. They aren't even allowed to come with a red or a blue shirt in my program because this is not what this program, that's not your, pur your purpose for being a part of this program. We are a family, which means we look out for each other. And so when you see the guys from um, PIV shed a pair because this person died and he's a part of our group. It says that the destruction that exists comes from the fact that there's a separation that people encourage when it comes to these colors. And we've got to find a way to eliminate it because it's destroying the sanity of this country, the safety of the people. You, uh, uh, when you, you tend, okay, I know, I noticed on Facebook that you, you, um, you're speaking at graduations and you're, you're involved with a lot of these tragedies. What is it like? What are the, what, what are some of the messages that you walk away from when you go to, like, say, you attended a, a wake for one of your youths that you 
you know, intimately, because I know you say, you know, you know you, I could see it breaks you up. How does that make you feel as a person to know that you, that you said, how, how can one person make a difference in this sea of madness, seemingly? What, how do you stabilize your thought process when you know that this is a young man that yesterday, last week you were talking to him and he's gone by senseless violence? How does it make you, what do you believe that you can do to, to try to prevent that, other than what you're already doing? Make his memory live on by reaching those who are a part of his circle. And I'll tell you yesterday again, after I did the eulogy, the service was over. Some of the guys, well, they were quite offended that I um, said what I said. And one of the guys said to me, he said, Miss, he said, me no business. He said, um, somebody after dead because my brother dead. So I said, okay, no problem. I'll go with you. We'll do this murder together. But I want you to guarantee me that when we don't do this, Samuel is going to be alive and among us when we finish with this. And so he said to me, he looked at me with, with such a surprise, and he said, but Missy say you know that's going to happen. I said, so what you're doing is setting yourself up to bury another brother next week. Because if you say you love him, then you have to make sure that you manifest that love and let that love continue to live on through making a positive difference. You have to find a way to end this color hate and this color war because that is the exact thing that got your brother killed. The color. And if you know that that is the danger that exists and another one of your brothers can die from this color, you've got to get rid of it. Okay, Nelma, um, I want to ask you a question because, you know, on a policy note here. Do we, and, and along the lines of what Ms. Diane was saying also, too, do, are we just making our policy under crisis? Are they well thought out, you know? To address a specific thing, you know, or just because a crisis happens, so we just rea- are we reactionary in our policy, you know, policy apparatus? Hi, <laughs> very good question. Um, we are very reactive, very much so reactive. Um, as I said, we do not do a lot of projection. Uh, we don't. We I don't know as, um, and I think it's a, it's not only Belize, it's the region. We are afraid to take that um, risk of doing it lonely when it comes to development. And so we have reaction, reactionary um, policies. For example, when the gang um, situation started escalating, there was quickly a law, and a whole pack of laws, clauses were developed against wearing colors, um, you can be charged for paraphernalia and so forth. But that is not being reinforced. Yeah. So um, I think one of the errors we keep making um, at that level is to look at laws as a way of ending our social ills that we have in society rather than addressing the root cause of what is getting us, um, they're giving us all these, these different um, social ills that we are faced with. It's a major, major, major error we're making. Um, but 
coming back to um, to Miss Diane's um, point of the colors and seeing the colors as um, red and blue. These are boundaries that we as adults help to set up from the fact, from the time that we say red and blue in PUP and UDP and fortunate or unfortunate, I don't know whether that's good or bad. The two main colors in Belize would be red and blue also. But at the same time, there are factions within those factions of colors. Because while some, some of them may decide that they are blue, suddenly you see them over um, um, a, a group that may have been red, suddenly become um, friend to the blue. So it, it's... For me, I believe that because these people have been neglected for so long, these young people, um, and they don't have any other outlet, they just continue to use these color, colors as a sense of identity. And it is their critical stage of development that they are at. They are searching for an identity, and there are no alternatives, so the only identity they can turn to would be the red or the blue. And we keep saying these things over and over, and they become knowledge, but like Diane said, the actions, there are no actions to follow up on them. Mm -hmm. um, um, yeah. That's very important. You're right. Uh, go ahead, Ms. Diane. One of the things that I feel, and it's not just because of the fact that I coordinate the youth apprenticeship program, but it's more because everything I feel, everything I wish I could see happen, I really put into the youth apprenticeship program and share with young people. And so one of the things that we made sure we put in place is that even though these young people, because you're talking about poverty, you're talking about gang violence, crime, all of that. There is no way a young person can transform their life right. in just one meeting. Right. And what the Youth Apprenticeship Program does is we make sure that they work four days per week, Monday to Thursday. But Friday, and I chose Friday because I saw that Friday was the doorway into everything negative that can happen weekend. over the weekend. So, the so weekend, Friday was important then. for me to equip him. Mm -hmm. Could you repeat that? And I said, so deadly weekend seems to be the problem. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, that's when, they, well, that's when everything gets unleashed, it seems like. That. Once Friday, you yes. worry about your, 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 your people there. Yeah, yes, because that's when you really roll down your, sle your sleeve and let out your hair, you kick off the heels, and you just you just relax. You know, your soul goes into that kind of um, sabbath, just relaxing. Rejuvenation. Yes. And so I have to equip my youth so that they can take the necessary precautions to live to see Monday. And that's what Fridays does for us. It's the time when we gather around and I want to hear what are your concerns, what happened over the entire week, um, what were your setbacks, if it was raining, um, what happened to your house, 
um, what are some of the challenges that you are facing, was the stipend enough, all kind of things. We talk about every single issue that could affect the young person and drive them into a mode of depression or demoralization. And um, for me, it works because every single, there is, I, one of the things I learned in counseling is that um, your client must not have your number. And I really ponder on that thing all the time because I say, but how shouldn't my client have my number and what would happen if they need me? And mm-hmm. that is one of the things that they are trying to prevent, the neediness and the dependency from the client. But my youth know every single one of them have my number. And one of the greatest things I enjoy about it is that early in the morning I'd get a text. Morning, miss. I just to say how you did do. Or I didn't get my stipend some complaining about this, the other one saying, and for me, it fills me because I am getting what really this program is all about. I've been able to pop into their soul that they can share with me what are some of their concerns, what is affecting them at the moment, and all they need, sometimes the things that they share with you, and when I respond back to them, They'd send me a little smiley, and they said, Miss, you know that's true. I wasn't thinking along that line. And yesterday again, in my eulogy, I said, all young people want is an adult that is responsible enough, that can stop and share some words of encouragement, motivate them. Mm-hmm. But Sometimes we look down on them, you know, because they are sagging. So the third time. And, and third we time. look at them because their hair is big. The, 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 the hair is big out there and it's not cut, you know. And we could actually coach those individuals. Listen to me, Herbert, a few words. There's a Rastafarian guy in my group. He started off with his luck. And um, we were talking about different things, and he, he shared with me the way some of the staff look at him. He shared with me some things that went through me. And I said to him, what is your purpose for going to work? Go, do your work, get your work done, and then you leave at five because your purpose is not to create a clique and a friendship bond. So last week, I, this is a specific young man that really gets to me. So I said, where is Kent? And he raised his hand and said, see me here, miss? No luck. I said, my darling, come here, come here. So I called him up in front of the classroom, and I asked him, why did you cut your locks? I said, well, of course I'm bigging him up and telling him how handsome he looks without the locks and whatnot. But at the end of the day, he created, he saw 
the importance of taking action that would make him a better person, that would create a better atmosphere within the workplace because one of the most important things is he enjoys his work. He loves where he's working, and his purpose is to hold on to that job. So because I ask each one of my youths to do a five-year plan, he said he went back to the drawing board, and he saw that he had to cut his luck in order to accomplish his goal. Wait, 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 time's up. So you're saying that he had to to cut off his dreadlocks in order for him to be accepted in society? No, 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 no. He no, did no. that because he felt, he felt, because if I've had um, different employers who said they don't take individuals who wear locks, and we respect okay. that. So mm-hmm. within the job setting, in, in his work space, nobody is saying he doesn't have to wear his locks. Nobody is saying that um, mm-hmm. they don't want him around with his he just okay. felt that he saw the need to cut his locks because of whatever he did. Oh, okay. It was a personal we'll choice that he made. Okay. He felt that yeah. his locks... Okay. Yeah, he felt that his... I, oh, okay. But, I just want but, to make that clear but, because... But you were mm-hmm. No, but I, I, want to, I want to piggyback on that. In, that is just a case, an incidental case, where he made the decision on his own. Mm-hmm. But... In reality, there are um, there are employers who discriminate. I have yeah. two sons, and while they were growing up, I first I read I to get them to remove the locks because I keep telling them you you exist in the white man world. You have to play the white man <laughs> game until you get your own. And yeah. even after they finished junior college and were applying for jobs, their female counterparts got jobs long before them just because of that same stereotypical um, situation for dread. And I had discussions with them over and over, trying to get them to see it. this is the reality that you're living in. And, you, you, and I know a lot of other young people suffer because of that. I guess my boys hold on because they have that additional support. But how about those who, out there who don't have that additional um, family support and networking and that sort of kind of conversation with them? But mm-hmm. this is why it goes back to what to the conversation today. Who who then is the face of young people? Because if you have that body then that voice could be speaking on behalf of that Rastam um, youth who chooses that as his identity. And he doesn't feel left alone that he has to please anybody in order to, to claim who he is as an individual. And so that, again, is what I'm asking. The respect towards young people, who they are, and what is their own purpose in life. And then the adults have gone to that to groom them into making sure that when they are within society, they are respected, they are valued, the moral stands out. Image is a great Yes, because we have to make sure, you see, us as adults, 
don't realize that we play a major role in who our young people have become. You're talking about some kind of learned behavior. You're looking at uh, adults and relating what they see the adults doing. Is that is that the point you're making there? Mm, not necessarily. Okay, expand on that because when you say when you say when you say that the, that the adults, I understand you know well images that you create for for the, you know those people, the young the younger the younger people, but I'm saying what partic- what give me specific examples of that of that particular point there. Then young people are journeying, which means they're imitating, they're looking at what's out there, and you have a lot of. A lot of things that are influencing them. You have the outside uh, world coming into our setting and saying, um, this is what is, is hype. This is what is the today fashion. This is, and young people want to belong. Mm-hmm. So they imitate the things that they see out there and bring it into our society. Then you have deportation where individuals come back and they are now um, a part of this society. And listen, when you come with a false identity, you sit on a tree and you start to sell a kind of image that really was not you at all, but young people feed into that and decide, I want to be. So and I'm not saying all does it, but when it comes to deportation, imagine you could just start to sell, because everybody wants to hear your story now. Why were you deported? Deported, oh, okay. You come back to state, that, that kind of thing. And then you start to feel big and sell something that is non-existent. Attention. Yes, and then all of a sudden you have created a pool of individuals who come to you and you start grooming them into doing all these things. You understand? It's a mixture of so much. Yet, there is nothing specific. There's no specific body that these young people could say, fill off into or referred to. To say, you know what? Okay, I've learned this. But there's another avenue that I can really learn what is the reality and what is the fact so that I have the option to choose between the two. Let um, me, let me know, just, just is, while I have to start right here on the, on the, on the deportation. Do you have do you have like any it sounds like deportation has an impact on uh, you know on, also on on what's occurring amongst a youth population in a country. Do you have any numbers or, or data on wh- how many you get per month per year? I mean, because it sounds like it's a has a very significant impact on you know on on, on activities down there. Not from my knowledge, not necessarily. We have splinters here and there, but it is not a great deal to pay attention to in terms of influencing um, youth. I guess Diane was just using that as an example. As an example. It's not the core But it plays a role, though, doesn't it? I mean, I've heard it before. The reason why I ask because I've heard it before where they say deportation. Essentially, the United States, the policy of the United States is that if you, behave, if you don't behave yourself in this country, they essentially let you serve a time and then... They, they literally put you on a plane with the clothes on your back 
uh, kick you back down to your home country yeah. and say, "No, come back. We don't want to see you again." And you, let's say you, let's say like for example, me, I was, let's say I was here from I was like five or whatever, but I have to still have my Belize roof. No, I go back there to Belize. I don't have. I've heard stories where these people don't have any families, whatever. They just exist and they just get find themselves in this society that they really essentially don't have no knowledge of, you know, and and they're placed there and. They, they, you know, how do they survive? Because oftentimes they need help themselves for the situation that they're finding themselves in. Well, I have a major concern with deportation, and um, I'll touch on that. But one of the things that also um, many may not be aware of is that not all of them come and say they are deported. Some of them already have the family here with the clothing set aside, this, that, because they have to check in at the police station. So when they come off the plane and they come as if though they are visiting Belize, you understand? And then they come and tell the story about what all is happening there, which is oftentimes a myth. But Going back again to the issue of deportation, which is again a major, major concern for me because of the fact that you have a lot of these individuals who are deported who really never lived a life in Belize any at all. And because of the fact that there's limited opportunities here, limited outlets for these individuals to attach themselves to, they are more... Yeah. I have a, um, yeah. a caller. Ladies, I have a caller who wants to ask a question. I mean, do you guys want to take a solicit a question? I mean, want to take a question from a caller? Sure. Go ahead. Go ahead, caller. You're on, you're on live with Miss Diane Finnegan and Miss um, Nelma Marie. What's your question? Yes, good morning. Uh, this is Gregory Morrison. Uh, I was just wondering if there's like a mentoring program between the university and other colleges that could be helping the kids because then there are other kids helping kids and that's example, a uh, good example that they'll be seeing. There are present Excellent question, Gregory. I personally am disappointed in the um, university's efforts as it relates to taking on some of that social responsibility that they should be taking on. There are not enough um, mentoring programs. I, I, I don't know, Diane, if you could account for any. I, listen, the bottom line is, and I've said it over and over, nothing really can be accomplished and reach its point of excellence without mentoring. Even within the job setting, um, every now and again I get overwhelmed because things happen. My youth are affected. Um, I need somebody that I can talk to, that can mentor to me. I get a lot of that from um, the feedback I get on, on Facebook and that sort of thing. But I also need to fuel my soul because it overwhelms you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I had the opportunity to go to the university, um, Universidad Caribe in Cancun a couple of weeks ago. And 
what I saw there, and this is a public university, what I saw there amazed me because they had all the, and the thing is, the purpose for which they invited me to go to the university was because of the fact that there were challenges with some of the students whose family members were a part of the cartel. And so, how do you reach them? How do you, they came with some baggage, they came with some issues of concern, and the actual mentors that are in place, the counselors, the psychologists that are in place, are trying to reach these individuals. Well, I felt honored because little me, how do I fit into this huge book, you know? And, mm -hmm. But what was overwhelming was the fact that they are doing something and they are trying to reach all different angles in order to accomplish getting their students to reach their level of greatness because they know they have certain limitations that they are that is preventing them from reaching that point. So okay. right here Diane, let's you know what are you gonna I take a break on the top of the hour so we can, you know, just you know, let's take a little break, a short break, stay on the line and um you know, take a short break and we'll come back. Can you? Do you guys want to hold on for another session? It's it's, it's going by real fast. Could you imagine? We we already more than we've been talking for an hour. And it seems like you know it, it it goes by real fast. So um, we let's take a break and then we'll come back if you guys don't mind. No problem. No problem. All righty, then we'll take a break. Stay on the line and we'll you know we'll stay on the line because I want to ask you guys something. So, um, Nelma. Yes, um, I want. Do you have another phone number that I can call? Because your phone seems to have some static in it. You have some static? Yeah. Like you can use so my phone. So what, what's, your, what's your number, Diane? Hmm? Say that again. 601-601-4792. Don't hang up yours, Nelma. We're going to call that one there. And then, you know, we're just going to use that because I think I, I hear, like, some static coming on on yours. I don't know, you know, I don't want any technical difficulties. But we're going to touch on that education thing with the university. That was, that guy was on, the guy that asked the question. I think we're in a the area. Mm. Oh, is that where, maybe it's the location. The guy that asked the question to you. Oh, in a windy area. Okay, listen, the guy that asked the question was Gregory Morrison. His brother was the standard bearer for um, Albert Division for the UDP, just, just as a matter of reference. <laughs> The gentleman I called in yes, to um, ask the question. Uh, His name is Gregory Morrison. Yes, you know, just yes, a little I know who he is. info. <laughs> He's an engineer here in the States, you know, not good brother, you know, just you know, I just thought I'd let you guys know that that people are listening, you know. <laughs> you know. So people <laughs> well, are listening to you. Yeah. As indeed the universities the university is not doing its part, it's not doing Save much, that thought, no, um, Save that thought. I want you to tell the people, okay? <laughs> Don't tell me. Tell the people when we come back on, all right? So I'll call you back on that, on that number, all right, on, that, on Diane's number. Um, I need to talk a little bit more about the psychosocial aspect that Diane speaks about in terms of counseling because the, the cycle is very vicious. We'll talk about everything. Don't worry. 
But when I found out what was his um, root cause for, for, for the deviant behavior is that his father was killed. And then just as early as last year, a 16-year-old brother of him was, of his was shot off his bicycle. That's a lot of um, pain and agony for a child to be taken um, at age 13, this one was 13, alone, and nobody helps him. There is no kind of psychosocial program to get him into, to get him, to give him that counsel to deal with the direct and indirect trauma of what he, he and his family has been facing. So we have a lot of that kind of issue happen, happening in our society where um, it, it's becoming vicious and knowing boys and how they hold and um, incubate and think about revenge and, uh, and the, uh, the testosterone acting up, um, the, the, the violent cycle is just becoming more vicious. And this is where the University of Belize, in terms of maybe its social science department, can take on a cause like that, but it, a lot of it is not happening. You know, um, you know I, I think one of the things that you know, I, 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 we mentioned, and I want to reiterate, is that we expect that the government should be the leader on these a lot of these issues on a grassroots level that is affecting the community. And where, while I understand that they must have, you know, policies in place, it's still at, the, at some point start with the community responsibility. And whether it's church, whether it's um, um, nonprofit organizations working in the community, whether it's uh, um, philanthropic organizations, whether it's uh, 4-H or Girl Scouts or Girl Guides or any of these organizations that can make sure that the young people have access to, 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 to information that can give them direction, information that can let them see that, look, if at least I know, nobody can come and say I didn't know. Because for example, that little boy, and I, and I could just feel for the poor kid. You know, your father got gunned down and, you know, now you want a vendetta. I mean, you know, it, it, it's very sad that, you know, no one can pull him aside at this point where you are now and say, look, young man, you know, you know, you if you repeating a cycle of violence is not going to solve your you still your your dad is still missing. So you take I mean you know so the point I'm making is that what kind of programs do we have that can counsel besides what Diane is doing, admirable job. What other vehicles are there that that specifically earmarked for counseling a troubled young man to to say let's look at another direction that you can go in. Everything is temporary, Hubert. Um, Incidental. If, yeah. If for some reason that case becomes public, um, it's on the TV and yes. there's a voice and, and every morning there's some concerns, then the counseling department steps in or that, that human aspect, human department steps in. And then they say, okay, we will offer counseling. We never hear the end results of that, how consistent it is. If the counseling continues, we never hear that. And I keep saying, you cannot mentor a child, you cannot mentor young people and expect them to transform in one or two sessions. It has to be ongoing. That is why with my program, it's six months, and every single Friday for six months, we are there with these youth. We are talking to them because they will fall. So you have to be there to pick up the pieces and show them how they fell 
and why they ought to take the other path because this path is not working. So you have to be consistent with them, um, mm. especially since when they leave you, they go back into their environment. You have to equip them enough so that they can handle what they are going back into. Mm-hmm. So that they As don't a mother, you, okay, i use an example of her two sons. As a mother, I mean, how do you, and, and just, and, and, and we're talking on a basic level. Let's forget about policies and, and, and um, you know, and, uh, programs. As, as, to, as, as, mother, as, as, as mothers, you know, who, what do you say to your child? Well, when, every day when you get up and say, when you see, when I was looking at the news, somebody just got gunned down in Majestic Alley, or somebody just got shot on Burke Street, or five shots were fired. What, what, what do you tell a young man or a young woman? What do you tell them when, they, when it's time for them to go and they want to go with their friends somewhere, you know, in the public spaces? What's your message to your, your, to, to the, to, to your, to your, your young kids that are of that age? You see, guiding and molding a child can't begin just today. And, it, and it's important to begin today. But you've got to get your child into the comfort zone of a family atmosphere from day one. So my son is only 17. So he's smack in the middle all those issues that is affecting um, young people today. But what happened? And, and trust me, he has shed tears for friends of his who have been gone down. Friends from within these same George Street, majestically, wherever. Because my mm-hmm. son has my very same personality. He doesn't look at the individual. He this is his friend, and so it doesn't matter. And one of the things I say to him and his friends, because my house is normally loaded with young boys, and I say, it's not that I want to call you at 2 in the morning while you are at Club Elite to check up on you, but it's just that society now um, is so different that it obligates me to call and make sure that you are safe. That's, that's what is important to me. And I hate the fact that I can't just let my son go and enjoy himself. I have to be texting him, Max, is everything okay? Max, are you, remember the rules, things like that. Watch your surroundings. And you have to be sending. I remember when my daughter was, my daughter is now 23, but when she was, his age and a little older and was going out, as she finished getting dressed, and I would say, Agassi, she'd say, no worry, ma, I don't know the CD. Because mm-hmm. it's one thing over and over that you have to be telling them until they realize, you know what, it's, we have to do this in order to hold them safe, keep them safe, and to know their every um, whereabouts. If not, you lose them. For me, yes. I always say to my um, two sons while they were growing up, is that um, I understand your stage of development, and your peers are important to you at this stage, but your peers are not as wise 
as an adult. So when you know you have an issue or a concern, you need to find somebody who is credible and somebody who you know can provide you with some direction, something more than you know. Because if you turn to your peer, your peer is on the same level. Yeah. They might not know as um, your peer more than likely will know as much as you know, but you need to find either somebody from the church, another family member, an uncle. Well, I'm a teacher, so I say this to my students too, that you, you need to find somebody that you can turn to and speak to when something is affecting you. And if they should come to me, if a student should come to me, I would say that I will listen, I will take your concerns, but if it is going to be harmful to you as an individual, then I will have to do something more. I'll hold it as confidential as I can, but as, if I find out that it is some information, and I have been in this position, if it is some information that you um, that will harm you, then I will have to find another avenue. Are, are, are you still willing to tell me what you want to tell me? And usually, they usually want to vent. They usually want to get it off their chest, so they would speak to you. But like Diane said, um, I have two sons, and to be frank, they don't have much of a social life. And it is for this very sad reason. I said, you are dares in this forest. And there's a lot of hunters out there. So you have to be careful of where you go, where you mingle. And so those two boys to me have more of a reserved kind of behavior, uh, personality, because of, you know, the kind of training and the, the, the kind of mm. things that I, they don't do a lot of socializing, which is not healthy in a sense, but it's a way of surviving. They are two boys, and they mm. are the ones at risk, um, yeah. especially the age that they are at. So, um, mm. And it's traumatizing because even when you hear a, uh, somebody die, the first thing automatically goes on the head, oh, my two sons are at home. I don't have to worry. Or um, if they're out, like the other day in front of my office, there was an exchange of fire between the police and, um, and, and, and the guys on the street. And here I am calling my older son, um, where are you? Are you safe? You know, it, yeah, it was, it, 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 it's disconcerting, it's yeah. to be, to be living mm-hmm. in this city. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sad, I mean, sad, sad. let me ask you this, guys, Diane, because, um, this, okay, you, I, I, I remember growing up, and I don't want to compare the two eras. I went to Queen Square Anglican School, which was in the heart of, you know, right back there. You know that era back there. That's the school I, I went to. And that's a school in the inner city that, and many others, but I just use it as an example. Is our school, when I, you know, the school, when you went to school, you weren't just just getting an education, you were getting a, a cultural learning experience as well, how to behave, how to treat adults. Is our schools letting, letting our kids down as well? I know home training is important, but when they go to that, the cultural environment of that school, what is it besides teaching them to read, write, and spell, and arithmetic? What else? Is, is, is there a breakdown there that's caused, that's leading there is part a, of what we start discussing? I um, will not totally say that the school alone has a breakdown, but we also have um, some serious issue with families and the breakdown of families. Um, and we know that for many times there are not both parents um, at home. But in schools, honestly, the school carries a heavy burden for the nation because of the problem, end up at school. But um, I was in a meeting yesterday, and we were looking at a curriculum. Um, I just got on to the end and was recognizing some of the gaps. 
But we were looking mm-hmm. at a curriculum for high schools that um, looking at five C's where they want to implement a curriculum that will instill those kind of values such as character, um, competence, creativity, citizenship. Um, but many would the say, though, is well but here's the thing, though. Many would say, though, no, but that's something that you as a mother. Because that will require yeah, but I'm saying many would say those kind of things, those kind of intrinsic values there will have to come from you and Diane as mothers or as fathers or, you know, home training then. So it's unfair for a teacher or a school to just say, I have to raise a picnito. Uh, you want to teach them, but you also want me to raise them. What, what's the responsibility of the community at, that, at this point? For those who... The, the responsibility those? of the community... Hubert, I think what you have to understand is we said that we are a very youthful population. We have a lot of children having children. Mm-hmm. Um, and are young. the parenting aspect is something that some of, some of the kids that are born to parents, those parents don't even know how to be parents. So that's another area that needs okay. a lot of um, attention. We have a family life, what's the name, BFLA, Belize Family Life Association, which is an independent body. But I don't see why it, some energies should not be expended in that area to widen the, the impact of, of that program like that on, 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 on the society in terms of preparing young people and showing them, you know, um, certain things about parenthood and so forth. That's a missing. And the schools are crying out to say that they don't have parental support. There's a big gap there. In fact, I think the Minister of Education himself is now trying to put a national. I, I don't see how it, it will work if it does, it's not legislated. I don't see. That's but, the thing, um, Diane. I mean, sorry, Nelma. Here's the thing. That's the problem that I have because for I don't need the Minister of Education or any minister to say, look, if you're a school, to form a parent-teachers association, you know, a PTA, or to, to organize exactly. services. And look, give them, empower them. Say, look, you have any concerns? This is the group you go to. They'll bring it to the principal. They'll bring it to the institution or the school, and we'll solve a problem. Simple thing as I was reading on Facebook where somebody complained, they said in a complaint about the traffic front of the school. Parent-teachers association get together as a community. You don't need the government for that. Yes, Hubert, I agree with you, but that is where... The same, we we'll go back to the beginning of our conversation where you say the society has drawn apart and there is more this aspect of individuality rather than collective responsibility. Because I am telling you, there are schools who try to put together PTAs and they could never convene because somebody is too busy, somebody can't come, the responsibility is not there, there, is, there are no incentives. It, 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 it's something that... And it's more complex than we are just saying right here. Um, okay. Here, let's say, and, and let me let me let me just share a little, um, and and this is all my experience and why I know that things can be done if you truly want to see it accomplished. Um, I was volunteering at a school. The principal had asked me to come in and talk to the standard five and standard six students because they were going through some challenges and every minute they are at the principal's office. So I wasn't working and for me, I, I just thought it was really nice to go in and, and mentor to the kids. 
um, there was one specific young man, very dark skinned, and every day, I am not lying, was at the principal's office, and so I dealt with him. And it so happened that his grades was really terrible. He was failing all, all the way. And when the report card day came, the mom came to the principal office, and he, she said to her son, I will just throw you right off this. Um, Baranda, because I'm tired of, you know, I, um, you know, things like, you look just like a pa, your black hand. Oh, so Lord. That's I, so unnecessary. I pulled her, I pulled her in a classroom, and we spoke, and I said, you know, what is the sad thing about all this? that when you were romancing that man to make this little boy, nobody could have told you that he was black and ugly. That was the love of your life. Mm-hmm. And things didn't work out, but you have this special gift that he left you with, this handsome little boy. Anyways, I, I dealt with that family for a while, and time just passed. Last month, this lady came to my office and she brought a gift in a gift bag and she said, Miss Finnegan, he said, um, I'm bringing you this gift because I got it at a parent night. My son is graduating and I felt that I owe this to you because it is you who spoke to me to get to see who my son was from Standard 5 so that he could now be a graduate from high school. And I was blown away because I feel that if there are issues of concerns within the school, then it's important for the teachers to reach out and find. I, I, I don't know. I grew up in the Pomona Valley, so I went to country school, mm-hmm. and I was saying to some individuals the other day, every time there's a parent teacher, that there's a school meeting, the kids have to go home, teachers meeting. Back in the days, the smarter kids from standard six would have to teach the lower classes while teachers were in meetings, but nobody mm-hmm. got to go home. No holiday. And so, no holiday. You stay at school, and the thing is what we used to, me particularly, used to like about it is that I get to list the names of those who behave bad. So maybe my identity was already being etched from back in those days when I was given those responsibilities. You understand? Because mm-hmm. now I, I like lush. I like pinch. <laughs> And I will write down your name and hand it to the teacher to say who was behaving bad. Uh, and I, you know, even with my nieces and nephews now, my sisters would say to them, Aunt D is the one who loves to pinch. Because I don't say too much. I give you the I, you're behaving mm-hmm. bad. 
and wants to go off the line and pinch. And the pinch follow. So when they come around me, <laughs> they, when they come around me, they really, like, they are in a straight jacket because they know that I have rules. And I am just saying that it goes with the individual. Mm-hmm. The teaching profession is one that takes on a lot of responsibility. And you must be prepared to face off with personalities, issues of gossip, all kind of things, and box that out because that's not the purpose right here. The purpose okay. is that shine. We have, another, we, have some, we have a couple of callers that want to ask a question. Um, go ahead, caller. You're on the air. Yes, um, uh, Brother Hubert, this is Bilal Morris, no? Yeah, go ahead, brother. Yeah, um, I want to ask, uh, I want to say really an excellent show by Ms. Finnegan and Ms. Snellman here in sort of laying down the, the, the in-depth uh, situations of what is happening with our youths, primarily our black youths down there in that country in this self-destruction mode. I want to ask the the two uh, learned ladies, the fact that there is no gang intervention programs in the schools at all. I was there in March, and I was able to, as an educator myself who teach in these gang-ridden neighborhoods in South Central Los Angeles, I was able to uh, have a chance to go into the South with Brother Leo Sanchez in sort of dealing with the problem there. You can see where, even in the South, the ecumenical and schools, and other schools there, you know, in Dangriga, where the problem is already surfacing in those areas. But what I am not seeing happening as an educator that works in high schools that have gangs, crips, and bloods, and was trained as an educator into gang intervention strategies, because this is very important, Belize is there already. What are the ministry, or what is the Ministry of Education doing in, in terms of your program with the, the youth um, program that you're doing? What are you guys doing in terms of intervening in identifying how gangs recruit, identifying keep ways in which to keep your classrooms, or how to do workshops with educators to help them to keep their classrooms safe because there is not much you can do eradicating the problem. You have to really intervene in saving the population that is coming up and also trying to make these schools safe in terms of having, avoiding children, young people from, I guess, standard six all the way up in getting recruited. Just shed some light on that if both of you can in terms of gang intervention. And what is really going on is the Ministry of Education actually looking at this uh, situation because it's a very effective thing. Thank you very Thank you, much. brother. Thank you, brother. Yes, so he wants to, the brother from, the true, brother Bilal Morris from 323 Era Codes wants to know here in Los Angeles what kind of gun intervention programs are, you know, are, are, are in place or getting ready to be in place. And Diane, you know, you, I know you work with uh, the youth with your, uh, Nelma. Is there any what can you answer that question for him? Well, allow me to say that the youth apprenticeship program is a program that was created through the Ministry of Education. The youth and intervention so, program. Um, mm-hmm. I must say, yes, and I mm-hmm. must say that 
where this program is concerned, Minister Paul really gives me the opportunity to just run and um, address the issues of concern that is affecting young people. When it comes to gang intervention, I, for me, I always say maybe we are looking for government to do everything, but everything is solvable if it is a part of our purpose. Within the school, you know exactly who comes from what family, who comes from what area, and I feel that when you are addressing children, if you spread love, children will learn to socialize with that level of love and affection for each other. When I was mentoring at this specific school, I said to them, I want that your purpose is to look out for each other to make sure that on graduation day, every single one of you graduate together. Mm -hmm. So I want you to find out who is weak in math and help that one. Don't share your answers, but help so that he, she can also get his test, her test correct. And when you mentor in that manner within your classroom, you shouldn't be able to lose any of them. Mm. For me, as I tell you, when I identified with this specific young man, I normally rob the ones that give me the most challenge, the one that I feel has the mischievousness about them. And I say to them, I want you to sit beside me because I won't be able to survive my session if I don't have you close to me. I don't say, come sit here because you're big and bad or because you're not worth nothing. I want them to know that I need them and I want them close to me. So it mm -hmm. is the way you choose to address things that will minimize and eliminate certain negativity within our society. When you equip a child in such a way, that child can go home and say, you know, mommy, my teacher says that when you curse X, Y, Z, whatever the teacher said, or if you tell daddy this, daddy could react to in a way like that because my teacher said, you see, kids learn from what they each day the examples that are handed down to them and we as adults are those examples to young people. If I tell um, if two of my students are fighting and I just choose to say okay, um, well Nelma is from a well-rounded family but she is fighting with Diane who comes from that not so strong family. Nelma um, you come and you sit here and Diane, go sit at the back of the classroom. What you are doing right there, you are teaching discrimination. You are teaching preference. Mm -hmm. You are showing now that I'm not good for nothing so I belong to the back. Meanwhile, you've got to, you know, Hubert, one of my youths came to me and he said, Miss, I am going to court because 
I beat up this certain person and I pick with them bike and now this, that, that, there. And he told me the whole thing. I said, whose bike did you steal? What happened? Whatever. Do you know who the person is? I went to court the next day when the court case was called. And then I had a session with the two parties. And I said, no, your responsibility is to apologize to this young man. And when you get your stipend, you're going to go to Hopsing and you're going to pay them at $20, $20 until you buy that bike back for this young man. Because that young man came from a humble family and needed that bike to get to school, I said, did you think about that? And Hubert, it is amazing. That family came by for the graduation. That little boy attended my youth graduation because we have the capacity of creating that peace intervention within our own circle. We don't need no bank account. We don't need the government. We don't so need the community level intervention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he was asking our specifically about mm-hmm. We have another caller. Um unless you want to add something and let me get this question from this other caller here and then you know we could go on that because we we're running out of time. We only have like maybe like like 15 minutes or so. Carla, you, you, what's your question? Uh, Hubert, this is Gregory again. And okay. I hear a great deal of compassion from these ladies, and I think that's what's needed. Uh, one of the questions I had that I wanted to ask also was, uh, recently they merged um, three schools into one, and I was wondering what impact that's going to have in Belize, because already there seem to be insufficient spaces for kids coming out of um, standard six and so forth. So by merging these schools, I understand, the, and I'm not, I don't want to get into the politics of it and all that, but just what impact that's going to have and how will that affect um, opportunities for education for, for, for young people, which is needed. Um, Nelma or Diane, you were, um, Nelma, you were education officer, so maybe you might be able to address that. I guess I guess the question, the, the both questions are, are directed to um, exactly what I um, I want to do. What about intervention? Um, the first one, uh, mm-hmm. the gang intervention. Yes, there are splinters of it happening to the police community department. I think a few of them went up to Florida somewhere to get some training, and um, they introduced it to some schools or they piloted in some schools but not enough of it is done. There is a dire need for um, schools to get training to even recognize um, the, the, um, the underlying or, or the symptoms or the manifestations of, of um, students who, who may be involved in gangs. But I, I still don't think we take it as seriously as we should. Um, Diane is saying that it's if everybody should take on that responsibility, uh, like um, it takes a village to raise a child, that would be an excellent approach. But mm-hmm. everybody's afraid again. Uh, the weakness, people don't want to become witness, people don't want to be associated with because you die by association. The schools, I may be... I can be reprimanded for this, but I, 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 I believe that well, we only when we're brutally <laughs> honest, we'll, okay. we will get answers. 
um, it's okay, Hubert, but I personally, from my observation, I think the secondary education and what we're doing is impeding um, in terms of youth and youth development. First of all, we Hold on that a little bit. We, our, uh, our secondary is only 54% access to secondary school. What happened to that other 60, what's the difference there? 50, 52 or 53%? Mm -hmm. 56% that is out of school. So even with the gang resistance program within school, that will still not be sufficient because there, we have displaced another 56% of students between the ages, the, the high school age who are not accessing the school. So one, that is something we need to address and address like yesterday. I know that um, this present government has put in a $300 subsidy to help alleviate with expense. High school is very expensive in Belize, but $300 to put a student in a school and then the student, the welfare aspect of it has not kicked in because the student cannot afford, they don't have uniform, they don't have footwear. These are things that the schools are expecting from them. They don't have food, they don't have transportation. The, and maybe this is where their square comes in. No, <laughs> because um, sponsoring a child would be a very good thing. Um, I'm advocating now. Um, a lot of our students need sponsorship in that area. So um, one of the key things to address is the Find placement for that 56 percentage of students that is not having access to high school. And it might be lower than 56 because there are some second chance programs that some people are in, but it is still relatively high. And those are the students who are picking up the guns. Um, it has to be that some attention must be given at the high school level because um, I'm a researcher. I did um, look at some data at one of our government high schools, and over a three-year span, 25 students were killed out of that high school. And we sit quietly. Nothing is, I, I don't know if principals or principals after principals are not aware, they're not feeling the pain, but 25 in one year from that high school. Dead, D-E-D, -E -D, dead, not even the A in it. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But... Um, as it relates to the second question that Mr. Morrison asked, I got a three school. I got a senior moment. What are the high schools? The, the merger okay. of three schools. Before you start, yes, I, I, wanna, I just want to give... Hang on one second, Nelma. One second, please. Uh, before you get into it, those high school... Because this, this question I want you to tie up into this, uh, into what I'm going to... This particular question, too. Those were the junior secondary thing that which used to fade into technical, correct? That, that was closed, Yes. Mm, say that again? Do the schools that were closed, that were merger, or whoever they did it, were those the junior secondary? Like, the, you know, what we used to call junior sec, was that one of them or some of them? That's no Maud Williams, they no, were closed. Or, I, no, okay, I, all right. I'm, no, I'm, I'm an alma mater of, of the BJSS number one, and the mm. other one, when Liz, no, when Liz, BJSS number two. Um, those are still existing schools. Oh, okay, so go the ahead. Three and... are three there are three schools that um, 
enrollment is very low. The performance of those students are very low. And um, the government looked at it from a policy perspective to see how they could have amalgamated to refrain certain costs or expenses as they have to pay there. Um, I wasn't a part of that, so I will not speak on um, the aspect of where it went to. However, one of the concerns was um, because the schools are merged, students from one community cannot go over to another community to access the service of the school. Like, for example, Excelsior is one of them. An Excelsior student might need to go over to Maud Williams for a subject or for, for his core area and might not be able to move from out of his Excelsior community to go back to Maud Williams because he can die. I think that was one of the major concerns, but my okay. understanding is that they will be transported. Again, mm. a lot of times we put things in place and then we don't think about sustainability, but that's another question, no? Mm. But I, um, I think specifically what, what, you know, what to refer to those schools, I see the point because of the, again, which has to do, be with the area that Diane worked in, because of the violence, uh, you know, uh, against the youths and youths, Youth and youth violence. So if I live in, let's say I live in, say, uh, well, as an argument, I live on Euphrates. But, you know, I have to go to Maud Williams today for argument's sake. They're on Rocky Road. I mean, they're on, um, you know, maybe all the way by South Street. I am scared to go to that school because of the violence that might be perpetrated against me. Is that, is that what you're saying? That was one of the, and that's a major concern, is it not? Yes. Yes. Remember, but, so, what we have to understand in the is that we have, the gangs that we have, they are turf water. Those pool of guns can easily be dried up if we have all the social intervention in place, we have all the political and public will, we can get it curbed because, and I shouldn't be saying this on national well, how, but okay, before you start, how many students really, were impacted? Um, how many students were impacted, Nama, in, the, in, the, in those closures? Um, you have in any the yeah, and the two, yeah um, what, do you have any? They are not closed, you know. The schools are not closed. Okay, I know, but how many how many and students would have been impacted if they did, if they decided to move, move, go along with that, more or less? Uh, I honestly I cannot give a definitive okay. um, information that. But it's fair I, to say it's gonna it would have been a significant number of students, though not no fifty students or twenty five students. We talk about hundreds of students. Any uh, any number of students that get up well, yeah, well, supposed yeah. to be seen. Pardon my ignorance on that. Line, yes, yeah. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> the the bottom line is Hubert. I think has to be a community effort if we want to see a positive difference come out of all of this. Because then it is the community who has to get involved if they see my son going to school and, and the boys are coming out to attack him, then come out in defense of that little boy because of the fact that um, why are you interfering with him? But we personalize things and we can tend to just stay behind the curtain and then whisper or use it as a gossip column later on. Um, I am sorry when it comes to my youth. I want to know what is affecting you 
who's interfering with you and how I could get involved in order to create some kind of peace intervention between the individuals because um, it is silly. And if you, when you meet two individuals, um, let's say from different turf, it is amazing that they themselves don't even know what the fight and the war is all about. They are just participating in something that is about a color. But they don't really understand what the war is all about. And so I'm saying, how can you fight a man's battle when you have no idea what this battle is all about? You know? And I think this is where, again, going into the schools, and even though you're teaching math, take a five, ten minutes to talk to the students and to share some words of inspiration and encouragement with the students so that they have something to live with. Diane, I don't mean and to cut you short, but we have like, we literally, Diane, I don't mean to cut you short, but we literally have like maybe a minute and a half remaining more or less. Could you give me a br- quickly in 30 seconds or some, you know, uh, something to leave us with? And then, Nelma, please, because we, we're literally out of time. Um, the bottom line for me, the only way we are going to minimize and eventually eliminate crime and violence from our country is if we stop personalizing things and start taking actions one by one to make a difference in our young people's lives, giving okay, the kind you. of uh, motivation necessary for them to be able to hold on to it and use it as a tool to empower themselves. We need to get back to community participation in terms of owning our problems. And we are the ones who own the problem. We're supposed to find solutions for our problems. I think if All we right. get back to that level, we'll be able to, um, to curb our situation. I want to thank you both. Listen, two hours is not enough. You guys are going to have to come on again. I just hope you guys know that, right? You're going to have to come on again. I want to thank you guys <laughs> both. Yeah, I want to thank you guys both. We only tip the iceberg, and we need this discussion has to go on some more. Yes, so we're going we to set up some time <laughs> to do it again. So I want to thank you to my listeners. Thank you for tuning in, taking time out from your World Cup watching and listening and asking. I want to thank the callers who call in. Um, do the right thing. God bless you. Have a wonderful weekend. Thank you very much. Blessing and guidance here, we too. Bye.